Welcome to Blessed Child Podcast, a place where strangers become friends and stories are told. They are from the perspective of the Unification Church and surviving. Now, these stories might not apply to you, and they might be cult speak, but in listening, we might find more similarities than differences. So please listen with caution. We talk about a lot of deep stuff, ranging from sexual assault to power dynamics in relationships and family. We talk about coercive control and cultic abuse, and maybe in talking about these things, they're just easier to name and easier to avoid. So I hope you find yourself in a safe place to listen as Misuk and Becca join me in deconstructing our journey from the Unification Church. We start this episode off with Misuk reading a poem that she wrote. And I believe all of this is very insightful, and I am so grateful to be connecting with so many people post-cult and holding this space for conversation and sharing. Everyone on this podcast is so brave and so strong, and thank you for listening. I would bet money that you listeners are also, that you, the listener, is a very strong, wonderful, capable person who has survived so much. And I want you to think about that and give yourself credit where credit is due. You are worthy. You are amazing. And your voice matters. And with that, let's listen to Misuk, myself, and Becca speak on purity culture in the Unification Church and what that means. This is a poem slash spoken word that I wrote back in 2015. It's called, I Believed. I believed it. I believed it when they said they knew the way and there is only one way to happiness and that this was their truth. I believed when they told me I had to stay a virgin in order to be pure and worthwhile and I knew of nothing else during my youth. I believed I couldn't be with the one I loved in high school. Yeah, who really knows during those days? But it took me four years to finally have the guts to kiss him. And it took me nine and a half years to realize that other girls also watch porn and to stop beating myself up because watching porn isn't a sin. I believed it when they told me I was not to tempt men. So obviously, if something went wrong, I had no one but me to blame. So when this guy I hooked up with five times, no intercourse, finally decided to put his dick in my vagina, I was filled with shame. I told him I didn't want to have sex from the beginning, so it had to be my fault that I didn't stop him, that I led him on. You see, I didn't think about society telling him that that's okay. No, I immediately looked at me and blamed me and hated me. I got flashbacks for months. I would hyperventilate, shed tears and tears while my thoughts screamed at me. 
all because of years and years of a religiously and socially constructed definition of one single word, purity. That brings up so many things. Yeah, I remember when I wrote this, it kind of just like came at once, like. Finally, finally the words, finally they yeah. come. Like years after, yeah. There's so many traumas in that story. Uh, I think I told you about the, the first love traumas. And I'm so proud that you actually kissed him. That is some will. That is like in my head, it sounds like, oh, it's just like, oh, you should just kiss him. But in my head, I understand what that meant. You broke out of these mind prisons that had chained a small child to the wall of like this. You know what I mean? Like they, they oh, yeah. arrested, they arrested our agency and our desires. And I understand how difficult that must have been for you. Yeah, I, I, I clearly remember deciding that and then like contacting him and then telling him that that was like my intention. Obviously it doesn't, didn't go as, as planned, but I was at a point where I realized that I think everyone that grows up in the in the cult goes through this like realization that in order to stay in the cult we have to hide certain parts of ourselves and for a long time I think I just was like okay I have to be okay with this and when I realized I can't change parts of who I am it wasn't like a freeing thing at first it was just like it made me really depressed at first and Letting go of the expectations of the church was kind of like letting go of hope in anything because that was the only thing that was valued from us, you know, growing up. So I think when I decided to kiss him, I was just like, I don't care. But I think that I don't care was what first had to happen. Yeah. Before I could start to look into myself first I had to say I don't care about what you want from me before I could ask myself what do I want from me I think that's the hardest part because of course we want to be accepted by our parents like that's like a human need to want to be to belong to something to like to connect with someone it, and when you say belong to our parents, it's not even that. It goes way deeper to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that if you kiss this boy and your parents found out, they could likely tear the roof from over your head, stop feeding you, stop giving you clothes. Like they could do, they would feel justified in taking away everything from you because that's what you deserved for kissing somebody. So I think that's such right. a deep rooted, yeah, it's way more than just the shame. Oh, I won't get their support. You will absolutely have to be on your own for making a decision like that and something and you had some resolution that that it was worth it. And it is so painful that that's how far it had. You had to go four years before you could to beat that resolution. And of course, this boy has no idea what what you've gone through to, to do this. But I understand mm. that. I am so proud of you for doing that. and. I mean, I think that's should never have to be that hard. 
Right. That's the first thing. It should never have to be that hard. And every second generation, third generation unification church member can relate to this because everybody falls in love for the first time. Mm -hmm. It should never be a choice between you wanting to connect with someone versus you being accepted into heaven. Like how what how you want to feel connected to someone should never be up to someone else's definition. Yeah. And I feel like that yes, there shouldn't be conditions because that's called conditional love and that's not something you should get from your parents, but also like it interlays with the learning of agency and learning of desire and learning about intimacy and learning about consent. Because like, if you never just dip your feet in the water, how do you even know what the water feels like? How do you even know if you like swimming? How do you even know if you can hold your breath or stay above water? And so they keep us out of the pool until the blessing. And then they just throw us in and how many people end up dying in these marriages? <laughs> they mm -hmm. don't know anything about consent or intimacy, or if they even like the same sex, I mean, a different sex gender, you know what I mean? You don't know anything about your sexuality. I feel like all these, all these purity talks is like really a way to strip you of anything that remotely resembles a whole person. Mm -hmm. It's so conditioned on your purity. Yeah. So conditioned on how you're viewed by men, particularly. Right because they can't prove their virginity, but somehow there's some bullshit concept that a woman has a hymen and you can inspect if she's still a virgin. Like that's total bullshit. But there's mm -hmm. there's a physical difference. It's not real, but that's the pressure and shame that when that's the, the standard. Yeah. It's like power dynamic because, you know, I don't know why I had a fear. I, I, might've, I might've seen it in a movie where they were selling a princess off to a prince, but they had to inspect it. It was such a vulgar scene. It was so violent. They had to inspect her hymen if it was intact. And when I saw that scene, for some reason, I felt like that could be me. Like that could really happen in this church to me. And I was so scared. That is scary. Holy shit. Yeah. And it was just, a, it was, it was a movie about like King Arthur or something, some movie in the in the early 2000s that I saw but for some reason it stayed with me and I've never forgotten it because I've related I related so hard to that woman they showed her being violated to check the hymen before she could get sold before she could get sold to this prince and that is the character that I resonated with mm -hmm. this purity culture yeah my mom used to tell me this story when I was a kid about a princess and she was waiting for her prince charming and she would walk around and like the way she would say it is like different animals she would name different animals that would try to like win her love but she said no to all of them and I think that's how she idealized this idea of purity like she had to see it as something good or something pretty to not look at how much you're giving up of yourself by just focusing on how you're supposed to be in relation to someone else. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. You have to see it as something good for you to ignore how much harm it's causing. You have to. You that's a cognitive dissonance. Yeah, yeah, yeah right that's there. a good point. You have to see it 
and they call it purity, but it is not. It is the furthest thing from pure. It is painted. You have to cut off so much of yourself to stay in line. It's likened to torture, I would say. It's like self-inflicted torture. Yeah. Supported and promoted by societal norms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. It really felt like torture. It really made me habitually feel like I had to be two different people in order to cope. You know, that would educate us even about body language. Oh, if his feet is pointed towards you, that means he's interested. So you better get at least six feet back. And just like all these little pseudosciences, just policing every movement, the way I angled my, my face or the way I angled my feet, or if I look them in the eyes and they're their pupils dilated that means they like you so don't talk to that boy you know just like this did you ever get that or I got that in um in this Mooney schools they would teach you about like body language and like use it like weaponize it yeah I mean I I went to a Mooney elementary and middle school I think everyone was just super awkward like guys and girls around each other I remember there was this guy, I don't know if he was in a church, but he was Korean. He was an exchange student at like the Mooney Middle School. And he decided to tell me he likes me. And I remember feeling (laughs) so awkward, like, (laughs) oh, like, I don't know. We were just never, I think it comes down to like never being taught how to receive love, actually. Because our focus was so much on others. Yeah. But, I mean, I think what you just said is the theme song. <laughs> <laughs> Never able to receive love because you got to live for the sake of others. <laughs> um, I love that. It's not a real song. I just made I it I know. Up. I love it. It sounds <laughs> sketchy. <laughs> but that's still like (laughs) like in therapy that's the thing that always comes up you have to learn to love yourself you have to learn that you're worth love one of the things that my therapist has been reminding me lately um when I tell her like it can be hard for me to be sober she reminds me that I have to be able to tell myself that if a big emotion comes up, I can handle it because I've lived through it already. And like just knowing that if it comes up again, it won't take over me completely. Yeah. I don't know why that's so hard. I think it's like we were so naive in believing what we were taught. So obviously like our trust issues are way out of the world the ability to feel feel deeply you feel so deeply you feel so much I think I do and it it consumes you um but feelings feelings are energy right feelings are some type of energy that that want to live in you and and be felt through you and kind of pass through you like an energy and um yeah all energy changes right 
just needs to be released it just needs to be acknowledged yeah and you're like a really strong conductor of of that energy I know that you have a lot of feelings I I know I can see it I I love it it's amazing and it's powerful it's so strong I feel like that's what drew me into dance yeah like I've always loved dancing since I was young and I think it's this feeling of like I can't express myself enough through words like I have to move every part of my body yeah 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 I love that about you so it is a huge energy thing that like yeah that I know yeah you have a lot of energy and so you you drink alcohol to cope with it with the strength that you have you have so much strength I mean that's just so much energy Mm, I never thought of it that way yeah and maybe instead of, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just, that's just what I'm seeing is, is that you've got a lot and that's okay. Yeah. And, and you have all the right to, for what you've been through, all of it. I mean, you've, you've spent your whole life gathering all these, let's call it energy or feelings, whatever you direct it to. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really curious about like somatic work I haven't looked into it too much but something in me like I just know that that's what I need next somatic somatic work like somatic therapy which has more to do with learning how to be in your body and it's not just talk therapy like talk therapy has its benefits but trauma is in your body. So it doesn't make sense to only do talk therapy if you're trying to process trauma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I know you're studying psychology. So that's why I was like, oh, are you going into that field? Or do you do that field? <laughs> Segway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's very yeah. cool. No, you're right. Um, how does tra- trauma leave your body? How has trauma left my body? You know, trauma is an experience from the past. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you got burned with the cast iron skillet, then that object that has no value or meaning turns into a traumatic thing. Right. But it's still just a cast iron skillet to anybody else. It's still mm-hmm. just an experience to anybody else. And you can re-experience these things without the fear that you'll get burned again because not everything happens. What you need is to make better connections, like safer connections with that object or with that, with that experience to, to remind your brain that, that this one traumatic experience is not the only thing that it relates back to. You need different connections. Like intimacy for me was very scary because it was, you know, purity culture underlined all that. And then a a sexual assault highlighted it. And (laughs) so to bring it back to purity culture, it's like, that was scary. Intimacy was scary, but guess what? Actually intimacy to some people is absolutely beautiful. And so like just opening your, I think releasing trauma is looking at the traumatic event, realizing that is, it was you know, you were unsafe at that time, but, and then just letting that, but evolve into whatever you'll allow it to evolve into. Mm-hmm. However that is. Hey, Becca, welcome. Welcome to the talk. 
Hey, you guys. We, we, um, we, we just started a little early um, because Nisak's been working all night. And so I wanted her to read a poem that she wrote on purity culture. And we've just been kind of talking about that. How have you been? I've been okay. Thank you. How have you guys been? I've been I've been listening to the purity culture talks all weekend, editing it and um, getting a lot That's of feedback. Rough, man. Well, yeah, I know. I just dive into the hard stuff. Makes me feel better about my soul. <laughs> I don't but, know how you do it, girl. Yeah, I am, same. I don't know. I just have a. I just adapted for this stuff, but yeah, I've been getting good feedback. People are shocked, but people relate. They're like, it's like they've been looking at the, uh, the elephant in the room their whole life, but they couldn't see it. And when we put these podcasts out there, they're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Oh my gosh. So I just wanted to let you know that um, you're helping people see the elephants <laughs> that are sitting on them. I think, I think they could see the elephants, but they couldn't name what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, it. or they could feel the elephant and what mm. it did to them. Oh my gosh, so much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to say thank you. I and um for your labor of love and sharing your wisdom, all of you. Seriously. Thank you, like, Ren. You are yeah. like seriously amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm I'm going to practice accepting that because my therapist told me to do it. So thank you. I am amazing. We are strong. We are we are capable, <laughs> and we're changing, yeah, people's lives one story at a time. We are going to own that power. Yes, something. Yes. Okay. Cool. So we've talked about so much about purity culture. So much. Um, there's a few things that we haven't talked about, and Misak brought up the point that we haven't really talked about the power dynamics within the church. And what that means. And that's such a hard topic for me to even wrap my head around. So Mm -hmm. if you want to start. I think the power dynamics and the cult just allowed for mostly males to not take accountability for their actions. And because we didn't know how to speak up or set boundaries for the ways we were assaulted, it just perpetuated you know the cycle Mm -hmm. yeah and I I think men were also given a handicap because you have to think they were children they were children at one point in this church if we're talking about the second generation men that grew up in this church they were children and they were told they couldn't trust themselves with women planting a seed that they're rapists by nature their fallen nature they are Lucifer like just telling a boy that as a child, I could not imagine telling that to my son. I could not imagine shaping him into something that would look like that, setting him up for failure, setting him up to be something that he wasn't born to be naturally. And I think that probably damaged a lot of men that grew up in purity culture as well, because it's, it's, you don't have rape culture without two sides. And, and if we were groomed for rape culture and purity culture, because that's, those two go hand in hand. And these young young boys were also set up and we've seen it firsthand. I've seen it. I've seen the, I've seen the preacher's son assault violently so many second generation girls and get away with it and not be held accountable. 
protect the boys at all costs. Protect their egos. Not only protect them, protect their family because they're important and they're 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 reverend whatever son, and everybody knows them and they're revered and they're close to the moons, so they can you know if they did something, it's because you tempted them, and that's your fallen spirit world. That's your that's your fallen nature, and you need to go to jump young and repent, and maybe restore right. that relationship. Yeah, so it's like, ooh, everything goes hand in hand. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this term toxic masculinity this week and I think a lot of times when people bring this term up they particularly male identifying people feel attacked because I think some people have this misconception of this term that it's all masculinity is bad but toxic masculinity doesn't mean that like masculinity or masculinity or femininity in itself is not good or bad right but this is the weird thing that the cult teached us that there's a positive and there's a negative and they complement each other, right? Like there's the subject and the object. And I think masculinity was always equated with positive and femininity was always equated with a negative. Right. And because the, yeah. Yeah. Because of course. Because <laughs> the anatomy of the genitals anyways, continue. Yes. <laughs> and yeah yeah that's as far as moon things you know it's very very literal so um I looked up the word toxic or the term toxic masculinity and I came across the um, journal of school of psychology which defined it as a the traits or like socially regressive traits in male individuals that serve to foster domination um, the devaluation of women homophobia and wanton violence and it refers to traits like you know what we our culture defines as masculine like strength and sexual dominance or potency and um, detachment from emotions and what I found super interesting about it is that it leads to a lot of really really horrible stuff for the men of course it leads to like the repercussions from it for female perceived people is rape culture in itself. And we all know that, but I think we cannot underestimate the repercussions that it leads to for men, because I mean, aside from, you know, aggression and the lack of empathy and sexism and controlling behavior, it also leads to just suppressing emotions and suicide and, bullying and depression and body image issues due to high competitiveness and also substance abuse and lack of genuine connections and like I did not grow up around the moons right but yeah. from what I've heard for example um, Teddy Host talk about that reminded me so much of what he said about some of the sons of moon how they behaved bullying controlling lack of you know empathy stuff like that so I guess sure this panel heavily focuses on our perspective but I feel like it's maybe important to also state that feminism is for everyone right like we need feminism because it wants to make all the genders equal it doesn't want more rights for women it wants equal rights 
for all genders. That includes non-binary and intersex people, of course. And if I hear men talk about, you know, they don't need feminism or what, what do we need feminism for? It's like, for you, man, <laughs> we, we need it for you and for everyone. It's a gift. Yeah, it's a gift to be embraced. It's a gift that men can embrace. Because when you were talking about the stories that, you know, what toxic masculinity leads to, what flashed in my mind, and maybe because we've been talking about purity culture so much, is that that injures them because they can't be intimate. They can't connect and they can't experience love. Just like we are having trouble with the same issues is that, that I don't think a man that suffers from that can feel intimate and feel understood and feel connected at the core. And that might perpetuate that toxic masculinity. So we really have to look at it and, and welcome and welcome being vulnerable. It doesn't mean being strong. Strong, strong doesn't mean having strength. Strong means so many different things, but in this situation, I think the real strength would be opening yourself up to being vulnerable. Yes. Softness and kindness. Softness. Yes. And you know, I really hope we can get some men on this podcast or 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 invite some men. To, to talk because we can't just speculate. We have to get the first person perspective to really understand what was going on with men and purity culture and how that affected them and where they've come from and how they've healed and how they've grown. And so I would, you know, this is an open invitation for any men li listening to my podcast. Just if you feel comfortable to reach out, whatever you want to say, I think would be really powerful because it, we have had a panel of um, women of so many different kinds of gender fluid. We've had bisexual, we've had- well, we've had... I identify as pansexual, but- Okay, and I'm, I'm a touch queer. <laughs> <laughs> well, who isn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, who isn't, if we're being honest? <laughs> I heard the sentence once by one of, um, by someone that I'm dating, and he said that, women are like spaghetti because they're straight until they're wet it's <laughs> <laughs> a good one yes, i can testify to this one <laughs> personally uh, i love that okay yeah so come on the podcast guys <laughs> we're, we're, we're really nice <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I just, I, uh, my husband just walked by. He's like, are you cold? I was like, well, I just get really cold when I talk about trauma because it's like a fight, flight, freeze. I get so cold when I'm telling things that are really emotional for me. Um, and Misa, you were saying, maybe is it in the freeze? Oh, that's right. It's like, um, it's like the initial trauma was like a puncturing of glass in my, my trauma body. And I just keep it there because I don't want to pull it out or it'll gush out. They just keep my trauma where it is in my trauma body because it's safer that way. And I've grown around it and I know how to operate with it in place. But if you rip it out of me, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I get really cold and shake sometimes and just keep it. I just keep it. It's my freeze. Um, so when I feel that in my body, because, you know, when you feel that you can shake it and I think it helps. Yes. Well, I know there's a lot of things that we've been wanting to talk about with purity culture. I know we've put three podcasts out there now on purity culture. I, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing big things. I think we're going to start a really powerful movement of like the females and the males 
everybody who's been wronged by purity culture and the unification church, it's undeniable to see that this holds power, that putting this out there gives people back their power because it's been taken from societal shame, but we're giving it back. You take your power back and stand for your injustices and so many things that this church has done is wrong. I want to open up the floor for you guys to speak on that in any way that you've been wanting to speak on. Talking about power and power imbalance, I was wondering whether or not this teaching of that man always is the subject and woman always is the object, if that affected you in any way, shape, or form in your personal dating lives? <laughs> oh, man. I've always been sort of a rebel. I've always wanted to do things my own way. But yes, definitely. I had this idea of what a woman should be. Cooking, cleaning, taking care of. Yeah. And um, that was hard to break. The idea that I didn't have to live up to this perfect idea of a woman. That was really liberating for me. And something my husband helped. His idea is that you are whoever you want to be that you don't have to live. And he, he embodies like you just be who you want. And our marriage will be what it is. It's, it doesn't have to be. I, there. What did he say? Mm-hmm. He said, there's so many marriages out there, Renee, but this marriage with us is between you and me and we can make it whatever we want. Yes. Yeah. And we don't, it could be whatever we want it to be. And he was saying that when I was grieving, I was grieving um, purity culture. I was grieving first love trauma. I was grieving losing my family. I was in a state of grief when he said this to me. And that was so much hope for me to be like, I can let all these concepts of who I'm supposed to be in marriage, of who I'm supposed to be, period. I can let them go and he'll still support me. And that was really beautiful for me to kind of shed that power dynamic that I've carried for decades at the church shaped me into thinking that I needed to carry. I didn't have to carry all that. Yeah, and I I was grieving for a long time and um, coming out of that grief, yeah. Um, And I think it's, yeah, it's nice. Thank you for asking that question. And, and, And it's probably not gone. I probably still carry some strange dynamics that I don't even understand, but I am willing, I am willing to reflect and I'm willing to grow and change. And it's always going to be, there's always going to be growth. So I'm not done in this journey. And I hope that later on in these podcasts, we can reflect on what was still at play, even though we didn't know about it. I'm sure we're going to learn so much. Mm-hmm. I have n- nothing to add to that because you said that so beautifully. Um, but what you asked, Becca, it reminded me of something that my boyfriend told me recently, we've been together for like five and a half years now. Um, but a few days ago, he was like watching some show where they talked about a family member who had cancer. And he said that everyone knows someone who's had cancer or knows of you know someone close or and they can relate it back to what that must feel like but with what we've been through it's hard for someone to even try to understand 
and that's why it's so isolating and yeah it's hard to explain it's not like even something as painful as having a loved one with cancer like you can relate to that to some extent um and I I thought that I felt so seen um when he said that because I feel like that is how we feel like a lot of times it's very isolating and a lot of people when they first start questioning the unification church it's easy to feel alone it's easy to feel like so scared you know I had uh, someone that I recently connected with she reached out to me and she shared something I posted on Instagram and then she took it down and she told me that she felt scared. She, she, and I told her that that's how I felt for such a long time. Like there's, there's no shame in that because it is really scary. And until you have a support group, until you have a safe space to go to, you can't just put yourself out there like that. Like, that's not how it works. Our bodies don't, it's so embedded in our bodies. Like, our bodies are always trying to keep us safe. If hiding yourself in the cult keeps you safe, that's what you're going to go back to. And for me, it was so hard to leave because I believed in God and God was my comfort. It took a long time to understand that God in the eyes of the cult was also abusive. My relationship with God was abusive because there was that power imbalance. And I couldn't really leave until I completely disconnected myself from God. And it took me a long time to realize how much I was grieving that relationship because God to me was dead for a long time and I didn't even acknowledge it like throughout college I didn't acknowledge that at all I would just dissociate or just drink yeah I think it was God, the same yeah. for me yeah that I needed to cut off all ties to religion altogether in order to free myself from this one like I didn't want any remnants of it mm-hmm, funny yeah. that I find out now that there's so so many remnants of it still left like embedded in me everywhere um but I totally feel that 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 grieving you know it's hard it's hard because it was such a big part of our lives Mm -hmm. yeah thank you for um acknowledging that isolation I lived in that isolation for so Mm -hmm. many years not knowing that there were words for it and that people could understand for years stuck in a cycle of grief and fight or flight trying to protect my safety not knowing if it was okay to expose this side of me this shameful side of like so much trauma and you don't want to stir the pot when you have something safe so you don't talk about it and yeah, this is me actually opening up that. And it's amazing to see it. I met you guys through it. I, I didn't know you. I didn't know either one of you. And through 
us willing to be vulnerable, we've met each other. And so I hope that can stand as an example that once you, you open, you, you practice real strength and self-love and compassion and show people that you have a need. I showed them that I had a need and you guys reached out and we've connected. And that's been so healing for me. And your need has value. Yeah. I think there's definitely strength in numbers. And I feel way, way stronger and way safer now that I know that, you know, this is not a fight that I, that either of us has to do alone. We can all be there for each other. Like even, like, even if I did therapy, I, I thought that, man, this is so specific. Like my problems are so specific when in fact, they're really not. They're so super common. Like the more we talk about it, the more I find out that all this weird shit that I'm dealing with, like everyone is dealing with it. <laughs> and it's, it's funny, but it's also like so validating, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's so much more tangible than like the ideology of the Unification Church, to be honest. Like, let's look at the real issues instead of create a whole new make-believe world of bullshit that you have to learn a new language and and gaslight yourself into believing your real problems don't exist and live in a whole different like VR reality of spirit world and all these standards of ideology and ideal families. Like, that's just too much work. <laughs> let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. <laughs> it's also yeah. so unrealistic and unattainable, right? So it, it, mm -hmm. by default, you are set out for failure. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know happy marriages inside the Unification Church. I know this is possible, but it's so rare. Especially by chance. First generation. Yes, yes, by chance. And I mean, the second generation, some of us had a say over which partner they would like to choose or like coerce their parents into letting them be matched with, you know, some person they had a crush on and that can work out, but also you're 16. And <laughs> you, when you're 16, you don't make wise choices, especially when this is the only way that you can have a sexual experience. Like the stakes are so high, right? They yeah. shouldn't be this high. You're set out to fail. You set out for failure. And then, of course, you're going to crawl back because it didn't work, right? Of course, or you're going to crawl did. back. Or it did. Either way, they win, right? right? They win. I feel like in the situation where, because I know people that got married when they're 16, you know, matched up when they were 16, got married when they're 18, and they're still together now. And I can understand that there's probably a lot of grief, a lot of grieving for these missed experiences of of dating, of finding and discovering yourself because you committed so young before you were even fully developed as a human being. And for those people that are happily married but finding themselves in grief, you know, it goes back to what my husband said is your marriage doesn't have to look like anything besides what you two people agree on as a safe place. And if you need to grieve the fact that you didn't get to develop fully then I hope that you can create a safe place where you can do that together and still support each other. Because if you find yourself in a reality that you've been forced into or coerced into, I think it's really important to communicate grief and, and, and take down the walls of pretending that everything is okay, because that creates a lot of distance between you and your spouse. 
when you pretend that everything is okay, even though you have all of these complicated feelings that just want to be felt, just want to be processed. And I, I want to put that out there for the people that are still blessed and listening, or the people that are married outside of the church or in any relationship where you're still feeling, you know, you're happy where you are, but you still feel grief. That is okay. You don't have to hide the grief. And I really hope that somebody supports you, that you still get support from your spouse and your partner. And maybe send them this podcast to show how difficult it is to show feelings. And, and people are complex. You can be happy and still have grief. You can be in love and still be grieving your past life or the life you never had. That's okay. Sorry. I didn't want to cut and you not, off. I just felt like that was important. And not just your partner, but your friends, people you trust. You know, I think that's so important to speak to someone who sees you and believes in you versus trying to speak to someone where you're trying to prove yourself. You know, it's the res- like the outcome is completely different depending on who you connect with. And I just hope you find someone who you can connect with that who really sees you yeah and yeah and this stuff is very complicated so you're gonna have to do the hard work of communicating and having the difficult conversations it's not easy to understand and we can't pretend that it is so it's still going to take a lot of communication but I, I I know there are people that will still support you um you just have to you know find the right ones yeah yeah um this may be weird but I stopped dating heterosis white men specifically because I felt tired of having to prove my reality to them on a daily basis um, especially in the first couple of dates like they wouldn't know about racism or they wouldn't understand sexism or all the intersections or like hate against queer people and um, it it is so exhausting um, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but um, there was this shooting in Atlanta last year where um, this white male targeted massage parlors owned by Asian women. And he targeted Asian red women because he said that they symbolized the temptation because he had, a, he had an Asian fetish. And um, I went to this vigil and it was a protest and it was right smack dab in the middle of Corona. So there was heavy policing because everyone had to keep their distance and everything. But I went there with my sister and this um, woman that I'm seeing, she's Chinese German. And I think since I left the Unification Church, it was the first time that I saw so many Asian red people in the same place and it was it was empowering because I then I realized this is we are a community we are so many people but at the same time I was like oh this is kind of uncomfortable because like I had I had emotional flashbacks to like gatherings of the Moonies right because because everyone looked Asian kind of like (laughs) yes ambiguously Asian at least yeah check check everybody's right hand be like are you wearing the blessing ring I always look yeah yeah I I don't think there were any Moonies out there but um (laughs) 
it, it felt super empowering because again we there is strength in numbers and just to know that you are a part of something bigger means that you're not alone and there, it is a resource for you and you can gain power from it just by knowing that it exists but what I also fell from it is that I really don't have energy anymore I don't want to spend energy on explaining my day-to-day reality like you know and it's not your job it really isn't it really is not (laughs) my job to prove that racism and sexism exists like read a book man just read a book um and I feel like also this I'm sorry this type of like feeling connected to someone because of this very 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 specific trauma that we all went through is hard enough right this is i like I'm fine with explaining this because this is very, very, very specific. And I get that. It's weird, man. It's so weird. Yeah. Right? And yeah. that's enough for me. Like if th- that's enough work for me. It's a lot. To explain to someone that I love, right? I will do the work and explain it to them. Well, hopefully the but three that's hours. It. That's it. <laughs> hopefully this resource, like if, you, if you're starting to date somebody, you'd be like, listen to three hours of blessed child. It breaks down my purity culture injuries. If you can get over that, we can maybe date. If we can see eye to eye, I don't have to explain it to you. <laughs> these, these women are talking. About. But going back to what you said, I, uh, I think that the Atlanta shootings is underlined by purity culture in so many ways. I mean, that's just, he murdered his vice, like his attraction, because he wanted to be closer to, he murdered people. Um, and I think that that is, I, I can see purity culture driving somebody to that end too. So I think it's, it's a very good also topic. Talk like toxic masculinity, right? And it's that so too. drenched in toxic masculinity. Right. He just needed, And racism. That, that story, yeah, that story was, was insane. I do though want to advocate that not all hetero cis white men are that way because of course not of course not yeah you can find you can find the diamonds right but yeah they're diamonds for me for me like I don't want to like sift I'm sorry I don't want to sift through garbage like no offense but I've been I've been to like south of 50 dates in the last I mean before corona like in the year before corona I went to at least 50 dates I think like it was more 60 or 70 most of them were white main white men nope nope it's like just as just as we have to continue to like process and learn these things so do they like it's harder I mean we have to because we don't have a choice like we are we know we that gender is a spectrum like we because we know ourselves and because cis hetero men tend to benefit from what they you know what they identify with they have to like actually put in the effort to understand other people also this whole society caters to them right right everything caters to them so they if they don't do it actively they never have to see someone else's perspective because everything is out of their perspective and for their eyes and for their you know perspective I think about that a lot yeah. Bringing, yeah, bringing that back to purity culture, I think that is why we are seeing more women actively deconstructing purity culture in the Unification Church, because who benefits, really? I mean, I just saw a post that the men in the church are, are when they're getting matched, when their parents are picking their 
cute little spouse for them and they don't have to do anything, just sit back and play their video games and wait for their parents to drop a wife at the door. They've been putting, it. she needs to be Asian. She needs to be half Asian. She needs to have a butt. She needs to have tits and a butt. She needs, and I was like, holy shit. These men are literally being catered to in the Unification Church. Like it's DoorDash delivery, bride. Wait, where and, did you read that? Uh, this girl just came out on Instagram uh, with just posting things about the church and I was for it. But she was calling out what she's seen in the and church. what she's heard what she's seen, what she's heard, what she's been part of, and the details that are coming out, the church didn't get any better. In fact, it got worse. Like now it's like on speed dial, DoorDash delivery brides. Like, and you can, you can just like scroll and pick. I want her to have green. I want her to be half Japanese. She needs to have an education. And I remember the dynamics when I was in the church is that there was more females than men. So if everybody needs to get paired up, then the men can get the cream of the crop and the last woman is just going to be left as a whatever, you know? And so there was a lot of competition. It was lots, lots of toxic competition, always being compared to others, always. Uh, the parents could be, you know, disclose your full history, your full sexual history upon interview. Upon first meeting, somebody can ask you all these questions and vet you and judge you. And what did the man do? I don't remember that. I don't remember the men being judged the way I was. I was groomed by a man. I was groomed by an older man when I was still in the church. He groomed me for about a year. And, and at the end of the year, I found out he was grooming multiple women. And he just dropped How me. How old were you by then? 20, 21, right after my blessing broke. Somebody started contacting me for about a year, calling me every day, uh, messaging me all the time out of the blue. I didn't even know what was going on, but I was being groomed. And, um, yeah, I, I was falling for this guy and I met up with him. And then I, a couple months later, he's married to somebody else. So he was juggling women, church culture. I mean, that's, I just wanted to give that example because it's fucked up. I am so mad. I am so mad right now. Uh, I mean, I'm glad he passed me up because he's, I, that's fucking crazy. I would not want yeah, to be Yeah, but that's that. not something that you do, right? I mean, there's a thing called ethical monogamy, but that means that you have to talk to everyone, right? You don't have to talk details about everything, but like everyone involved should know what they're getting into. Like, would you have fallen for this guy and talked to him for a year if he had told you up front he's also talking to other people for a year? Of course not. Of course not. That's, my God, yeah. I'm so mad. It broke, I remember the day it broke my heart. I was like, that, you know, I had just broke my blessing and it's not like you just leave the church. You still give it a chance. You still want to, you still want your parents' approval. You still want to make it work with the community that you know. That was like the, that was the last straw. That was me trying to make, you know, just slowly slipping out of cognitive dissonance. It's not easy. And I'm sorry if I made it sound like it's easy because it's not, it's a lot of pain and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of self-shattering image over over and over and over again until you find something that sticks that you're okay with but yeah I remember it broke it broke my heart and and I remember crying about it and saying let these tears wash down your face Renee because you are never gonna cry about this again and I let it out and I, I've never cried about that fool never again never I'll let that grief go because <laughs> it's not worth it Yes, to recognizing your worth from it. 
Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah, if anything, I feel, I feel sympathy for the woman that did get picked because I can only imagine what kind of gaslighting tactics he's used on her or how she feels. I don't know. But I got, I escaped and I'm glad I am grateful. This weirdly reminds me of how Moon was courting these two sisters before he oh. married Hak Chahan, right? The richest sisters in Korea. Sisters. Yeah. And the then richest. they opted out and then he had to scram and find another, like find another bride. And then poor Hak Chahan got picked. Didn't he have a kid with one of them? Isn't that Sam? Oh, Park no, no, song? no. That was, that was before. No. Was it after? He slept he with at some. least three. I mean, I don't know. He's, I don't know how many kids he's had, but I know he targeted a rich family. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, you know, even if you, me and Misik were talking, it was like everybody idealized Moon and Moon had some really disgusting behaviors. He raped women. He got them pregnant. He stole their kids. He coerced women into sex that were married and then coerced them to have sex with other men. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did really bad shit. And so when you idolize this this disgusting man subconsciously, you're going to emulate their behavior. And so I think we saw this power dynamic trickle down into so many different relationships. And I mean, the, the story I said, I think is like a prime example. Like you said, it's exactly what he was doing, courting multiple women for whatever favors he needed or wanted. Um, and not having any empathy about what, what he was, what his actions were doing to people. Wasted well, a whole year of my not, life. Because he's the object. I mean, you are the yeah. object, right? He's like so women obsessed. are the object. Yes. Right. Right. No, I just want to put it out there that Moon raped a woman, got her pregnant, stole the kid, brought him back to Korea, and the kid got his head knocked off. He died in a train accident. He was looking out the window and got his head knocked off. So Moon stole a kid from his mother, an Ill- illegitimate kid, neglected him so much so that he died. Like, this is a real story. If anybody's on the edge about Unification Church, Moon is a terrible father to his own children. So what makes you think he's qualified to be the father of the universe? <laughs> true, true father. And the biggest hypocrisy was how much he, like, said you shouldn't have money you shouldn't um, pee in a toilet more than one you should pee in a toilet three times before you flush you need to wipe your butt with one piece of toilet paper don't buy shoes that are more than forty (laughs) dollars don't eat more than this much everything micromanaged right he like shamed people who are greedy and selfish meanwhile he was getting all of his needs met and that's something that my therapist reminds me of a lot. Like he got his needs met, but we weren't allowed to even acknowledge our own needs. Meanwhile, he got all the money. He got the private jets. He got the mansions. He got the food. He got, took his kids to, you know, expensive private schools um, all on our parents' money. I remember the first time that hit with me was when I went to his house in Belvedere and the walls were like made out of like fossils. I don't fucking know. The walls were like everything was made out of the nicest, most rarest material. There's a waterfall in the living room, in the dining room. He was wearing all these pink sweaters and ties and like lacrosse. I don't know what brands they were, but I could never afford them. Just disgusting, oozing, oozing corruption. Who's in corruption? 
And he said, I, I, I would never buy shoes that are more than $40. I don't, I'm surrounded by lush, lavish foods, but I only eat the most basic thing. I'm like, you're fucking lying delusional. out of your teeth. Yeah, delusional. Manipulative. Yes. And for reference, all that stuff is in Global Peace Citizen, that book with him that he wrote. I've read that too. (laughs) (laughs) I remember my mom telling me that speaking, like circling back to power dynamics, um, my mom, her mid-gift, right? So um, when she got married to my dad, her father gave her money and he donated it all to the church and she didn't know oh and when I was born I was the first born and my my mom and dad were church leaders in 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 a town in in Germany at that point they have to pay rent because they were living in church center of course and when I came around my mom wanted to buy like essentials you know diapers and clothing and stuff and she found out that they don't have any money anymore. So <laughs> she needed to borrow candles for the ceremonies even and clothing. Yeah, that made me really mad. But then again, like, of course, he gave away all the money, right? Of course he did, because that's what is expected, right? It's what you do. You have a little money, so of course you give it away. Anybody in religion will relate to this. They said that if you, whatever you sow, you will reap twofold. Whatever you donate, it will be brought back to you in tenfold. Just mm-hmm. these really manipulative, obvious lies. <laughs> because money doesn't grow from trees. You have to work for it. And when you get it, please don't throw it into the ground. Like it'll grow a new tree. Like do a legit investment. Don't give it to the church. It's not how money works. Like financial education. Some people call it seed money, right? Oh my God, that word. You plant, yes. yeah, seed money, right? You plant the money. It's like mm-hmm. you plant it in, 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 in soil, in good soil, if you give it to the church and then it grows a, like a ma- magnificent tree and it will rain gold coins on your head or whatever. But um, that it's, yeah, that is very manipulative and just straight up lying. It's just lying. It's just defrauding people. It's all that it is. It's scamming people. Mm-hmm. A lot of parents were, you know, immigrants, like my parents were immigrants to this country. And a lot of people in the Unification Church cult were from different countries and just like trying to survive in a different country is hard enough. And then on top of that, like giving the little money that they had to the church just kept them poor. And it's not till it hasn't been Till like the last few years that my parents started saving up for retirement because before that they were just working for a unification church organization and they barely saved anything for retirement of course they barely got paid and they gave up just all their time and that's what was like I feel like that's how in the church environment like you felt seen the more you volunteered there's no pension in that (laughs) brownie points for spirit world i don't know vitality elements it was called Mm -hmm. vitality elements so your parents worked for which organizations my mom worked as a daycare teacher at jenna child care center 
for 10 years. And she used to also be a secretary at the church in Clifton. And she would make the programs. So she was like working two jobs a lot. And my dad was the maintenance guy at Jenna. And then he would also, when I was attending the church middle school, he would clean the school once a week so that me and my sister could attend it because it was a prep obviously we had to pay for it and they couldn't afford it was it new hope new hope new hope in new jersey yeah i'll say your parents did a lot with jenna and have nothing to retire on no social security um my dad looked at it it's very little but only recently like my dad got fired from there and my mom had to scramble to find a way for them to make money because my dad doesn't speak English and so they started taking care of older veterans at home so now like in the past seven years they've started to save up some money but before that when they were working for the church like there was nothing and I know so many people who have similar stories and who feel the pressure of having their parents donate all their money and not save for themselves and then we get stuck feeling like especially as the oldest like I felt so much pressure and like that's why I always knew I had to get a stable job and there was no other option I had to be a nurse I had to get financial stability like that was my number one priority getting out of the cult yeah yeah that's a huge I mean yeah our our families are crippled financially I can attest to the abuse in the school systems for not paying my dad was a teacher at NEA for four or five years and when he he just this year realized that he never got a tax return he never got a tax return or any tax paperwork when he was employed as the science teacher and the school physician the position. So he had two positions at NEA and he never filed taxes on it. So he's not getting any retirement or pensions from being a teacher at these schools either. So this is two schools that we know of. So the financial abuse is real and it's crippling. And our parents were not delusional because there were empires being built that they thought they would be taken along when they were older. Reverend Moon specifically promised retirement, specifically saying that he would build retirement centers, which he did in Champion, which the richest, elitists get to retire in the mountains. Silver City, I think it's called next to Champion, something like that. I can't remember all the specifics, but I remember it being built. So, so our parents weren't delusional. They were lied to. They saw a multi-million dollar empire being built in the sushi industry and good go boats in University of Bridgeport and all these schools at New Hope Academy, Bridgeport International Academy, we have Corral Dance Academy, the New Yorker. We're not delusional. They have the Washington Times. They have all these newspaper outlets. They saw the money and they thought and they were promised that they would be taken care of. I think also it's crucial to state that not only did Moon promise to take care of his followers financially, but also my dad specifically, specifically told me that he thought that, you know, heaven on earth would be erected soonish. So he seven doesn't years. have to, yeah, seven, exactly. That's what he said. He said yeah, seven, seven years. years. So he was trying to go. yeah, it's always seven years. So um, he said that he didn't even think about our education, right? He didn't even think about 
what we will need in the future because he thought that everything will be taken care of because then all his work will have paid off by then mm. you know bullshit yeah uh, i'm i'm glad our parents maybe got out a little bit late in life very very late in life but they got out and and they're working towards a little bit of freedom but there have been so many first gen that have died homeless with no insurance with no ability to take care of themselves and that is the straight injustice from reverend moon himself reverend moon himself is probably buried in a coffin that could have paid for hundreds of people's retirement right. um, and he lied this is a straight lie i am sure you can find so many speeches where he said just work the providence and the providence will take care of you we just have to sacrifice you know for this time being more you know you're only you know what what do you say you're only here on earth for one lifetime why would you be selfish when we can make more peace give everything you have and then when it wouldn't work out it was always the member's fault right you didn't work we hard didn't enough. Do enough yes we didn't work hard enough we didn't donate enough money we didn't believe enough your kids are not struggling they're going off shit. heavenly course yeah yes and all of this is How so compounded right oh my god this is mm. um oh this is the extra burden this is the extra burden you felt in purity culture to remain pure because everything was riding in these mesh families financially yes. speaking um spiritually speaking emotionally speaking it wasn't just kissing somebody it wasn't just having sex it, was, it wasn't just even having a crush on somebody, right? Oh, it wasn't even just like feeling every desire. Little thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, we're not, yeah, all of this ties back to the amount of pressure and the injury that we've had to evolve from because all of it is bullshit. Yes. When my parents left church, I think I was like 14 or 15. And... Um, the people from my congregation that I went to um, built up a lot of pressure and manipulated me into thinking that not because I'm the oldest, it's my responsibility now to make sure that all my siblings stay pure and all my siblings will go to heaven. And they actively tried to get me to hate my parents for leaving the church, which they succeeded in for some time I mean it probably didn't help that I was in puberty anyway so like every pubescent kid I would fight with my parents then there was this thing that I was a super metalhead and I was wearing black and my parents specifically my mom she hated it and she made me walk like five meters in front or behind her so that people wouldn't associate us with each other I didn't mind but like (laughs) yeah and then this comes on top of it right so like the church makes me resent my parents for leaving us and going over to Satan's side and then I am the enforcer of purity culture for my little like for my for my siblings for my little brothers and sisters like you How said, Renee, like this, yeah, not even, not, not only my pressure, but like this, like you being a cog in, a, in this huge machine of suppression and mm. abuse. 
this fucked with my head. Oh yeah. A lot. I I think that power dynamic is playing in a lot of families. Becca, I have a lot of questions for you as the oldest. Have you found a way to overcome that type of separation that that shouldn't have ever been between you siblings? And on that note, we are going to save the rest of this discussion for part two that will come out next week. Um, Thank you so much for listening to this thus far. We get into so much about family dynamics and how purity culture mm, dissolved a lot of those relationships at a very young age and, and stunted a lot of growth. And so the next conversation is very difficult to hear, but it is one of those conversations that need to be had. So join us next week, and until then, digest at your own pace, um, deconstruct at your own rate, whatever feels safest for you. You know, these stories don't apply to everybody, but since me and Becca and Misak were all strangers before this year, and seeing that we have so much in common, I would bet money that you probably have a lot in common with us too, if you're listening. So have some patience, have some grace, have some compassion for how far you've come. I want to remind you that you are strong and you are capable and you are worthy and everybody is different and everybody has their own pace. So take care of your health, take care of your mental, take care of your well-being, and we will talk again next week.